Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Today being Mother's Day, we talked this morning about a mother who molded her son to be the person that God wanted him to be. Not that she was able to make things happen regardless of his decisions, but rather she molded and she set in place things that he decided, therefore, to be a faithful child of God. But there are times when things don't work the way we want them to work. There are times when people disappoint us. There are times, of course, when we disappoint ourselves. The question then becomes, okay, I'm trying to mold. I'm trying to create this situation, but it has not worked. And my children or my child is now in a place that is not pleasing to me. I want us to think about that for a few minutes to give some support and care for people who struggle with that situation. But first, to think about people who are concerned that it might happen to them. Every one of us should understand this when we decide to become parents. If our children do not turn out the way we would like for them to, it is not our fault. That doesn't mean that we did everything right and, or that we did everything wrong. It's just not our fault. Because those children are free moral agents. And they get to be the people that they want to be. It is merely our duty, it's our responsibility to create an environment that they want to be what we want them to be. And even in that, there might be a thing or two that is disappointing to us. It's not your fault. Number two, you're not alone. I don't know if the figures are accurate. I keep hearing these numbers all the time. That we lose more than 50% of our young people when they leave home and go to college and get on their own. That may be true. I'm not sure. I just don't know. Certainly, there are a number of people who get on their own and become unfaithful. That's just a fact. And every one of us can say, I know a family hurting because they have a family member who is not faithful to the Lord. But certainly it can't be any more of a difficulty than for a parent to recognize that fact. And so, I think we need to understand it's not our fault. And we're not alone. If it happens, 
If that's where our family is struggling right now. So I want to do two things tonight. I want to give some thoughts to those who are concerned. When you see everybody going through what they do, and you see them having these kinds of issues come up where their children are not faithful, and you get concerned, I don't want mine to be in that statistic. What do you do? And then what do we do when that actually happens to us? I have to admit, in thinking about it from Scripture, there's just not a lot there in the second of those. But we'll get there in a moment. The first thing I want to say to all parents who have children at home, all parents about to be parents, all who want to be parents someday, here is the situation. Don't focus on guarantees that somebody can give you about their faithfulness, but rather guarantee what you can give them while you have them. There aren't any guarantees. It is not possible for any one of us to say, all right, I have the absolute solution. Do this, one, two, three, and there is zero doubt that your child will be faithful for the rest of his or her life. There are no guarantees. They don't exist. And yet, what one of us would not want to have that kind of a guarantee? What couple in society today thinking about having children is not concerned about that? I don't know, really, I really don't, if the world is any worse now than it's ever been. Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. I don't think the world is any worse, but I do believe the world is encroaching more and more on us than it ever has before because you can't get away from it. At least in bygone eras, you might be able to get away from what's going on out there. But you can't today. The more connected we are worldwide through social media, through advertising, through all the kinds of things, we can't get away from the roughness and the meanness and the sin that's out there. So while it's, I don't think, any worse today than it's ever been, I think the challenge of people today is to find a way to disconnect from it without being influenced by it. And it's a whole lot more difficult to disconnect today, maybe, than it's ever been. So there are no guarantees at all. Just can't happen. Here's how I know it. The Bible addresses it. When you are thinking about your children, you're thinking about what can I do because I don't want mine to be this way, or what do I do because someone has that I know is this way? Think about the people in Scripture 
who are called faithful people whose children turned out to be unfaithful. You go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you look at that list. We call them the hall of fame of faith. And if you look at that list, there are some people there who were called faithful to God, but whose children had problems. Just think about Noah. Noah, one of only eight people who survived the flood, very soon after getting out of the ark, Noah had to curse his son because of his actions with his dad. Now, I know that in that moment, Noah was unfaithful too. He is listed in this Hebrews 11 chapter as a faithful person, but in that moment, he was practicing unfaithfulness, I know, because he got drunk. Now, I don't know what actually happened. I don't think any of us do. It just says that when Ham saw him there drunken and naked, the two other brothers came in and put a coat over their shoulders and backed in to their dad to cover him up. So is it, did he sin just because he saw his father naked? I don't think that's the case. It doesn't make any sense. It would only make sense to me if in that situation he responded in an unfaithful way. He responded in a sinful way. And I don't know what that sinful way was. But I know this, Noah had to turn around and curse his own son. Here's a man enshrined in that hall of fame of faith who had to curse his own son. Isaac is another one. Isaac had two sons who were unfaithful. In their own way, they each participated in unfaithfulness before God. Oh, I know that he was also struggling a little bit because his wife was involved in the unfaithfulness. But Isaac is still listed there amongst the faithful. And his two sons lied and stole and harbored anger and did not fulfill responsibilities, ran away from home, one of them did. This faithful man had some unfaithful children. And then I think about David, the man after God's own heart, whose son Absalom tried to steal the kingdom from him. Going so far as to set up a tent in the highest part of Jerusalem, which was the rooftop of the castle, the palace. And in that tent, before the eyes of all Jerusalem, 
he was sexually involved with all of his dad's wives to shame him, to make a point. And then he enlisted the military to chase his dad and maybe would even have killed him. And yet David is the man after God's own heart whose son became totally unfaithful. Though not listed in that chapter, the Old Testament calls King Jehoshaphat a good king. But his son, when he became king, killed all of his brothers in his jealousy to hold on to the kingdom as the heir to his father's throne. And Jehoshaphat is called a good king. And his son did evil in the sight of the Lord. Good people for centuries have been in the situation of raising children some of whom have become unfaithful. It's not your fault, and you're not alone. But to put it in perspective, think about this for a minute. All of those families had children who were faithful. And all of us can think of families who had children who were faithful while one or two were not. But now think about this. Every single one of God's children has been unfaithful to him. With the exception of Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As good as parents can be and as well as they can do what they do. God has done the most. What has God done for his children? What great things has he done for all of us? And yet, every one of us at some point has been unfaithful. And some of God's children are still unfaithful. Is it God's fault? Is he to blame? No. It's the human condition. It's not your fault. And you're not alone. Therefore, think about this. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 you'll find that we can learn about the only thing that we can guarantee as parents, the only thing that we can control. When Hannah wanted a son, she prayed to God and she said, God, if you give me a child, I'm going to give him to you. The first thing that you can guarantee 
as a parent, to help instill faithfulness in your child is to give them to God. Now, I know that sounds, what does that mean? How does that work out? Let me tell you this. I don't know of any parents, Christian parents, let's say, I don't know of one, who have intended to drive their children away from the Lord. Because by definition, that would mean they're not Christian parents anymore. But the ones that I know, the ones that are concerned about themselves, the ones who are in this situation, intentionally they did not do things to drive their children away, to cause a problem, to create difficulty. They didn't do that. They gave them to the Lord. You cannot find a guarantee, but you can stack things more and more in your favor. And one of those is when you give them to the Lord, you say intentionally with yourself, with your spouse, and with them, I'm giving you to the Lord. You are God's child that God is giving me to take care of. And they need to know that you expect them to be with God. They need to know that you have given them to God. But then number two, you then need to give God to them. And the Bible says of Hannah that while she had him, they were faithful, she and Elkanah, her husband, they were faithful to the Lord. They observed the Jewish religion as they were instructed to do, to the extent, it seems, that when it finally came time for him to be given to Eli and to live full time at the temple and not with them, he did it willingly. Now, how did they guarantee that? The Bible doesn't give us the scene. It doesn't reproduce the scene of what it was like when they dropped him off and turned their backs and went home. They don't tell us. But I cannot imagine that situation happening such that he was screaming and yelling, Mom, Dad, don't leave me. Come back. I don't want to be here. It reminds me a whole lot of Abram and Isaac. When they were going up that mountain and Abraham was going to sacrifice him, Isaac wasn't hesitant. He may have walked arm in arm with his father. Dad, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. I don't see anything in Scripture that says he was kicking and fighting and trying to run away. And Abraham, at 110 years old, had to grab him and hold on to him just to tie him down on an altar. Doesn't make sense. Why? Because he had given God to him in a way that he accepted it. Now, I know 
that it's not a guarantee. You can give God to your child and they may turn it down, but that's not what you're looking for. Just do what you can do. Guarantee what you give them, and that's all the guarantee that you have. Number two, what happens when I'm in a situation with a child or a family member or even a friend who has become unfaithful? There's just not much in Scripture about that. There really isn't. Maybe that's why, maybe that's part of the story that we sort of overlook when we read about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn over there and look at it, you'll find these things. Don't focus on the far country. Focus on the home front. Now you know the story. Dad, I'm ready to leave. I want my inheritance now and I'm gone. And I'm taking off on my own. In verses 11 and 12, here is what the dad focused on. He focused on making a home of memories for that child. And that's the best that he could do. The best that he could do was to create a home environment that was filled with memories. And he had no clue that his son was going to be this way. Whether he thought about the fact that he might be unfaithful, maybe he saw something in his son that nobody else saw, I don't know. But whether he did or didn't, he created a home with memories to help that situation, to create an environment where the memories could bring him home if ever he went away. Verse 12 he became the man that God wanted him to be, verse 17. He focused on being the person God wanted him to be. When the prodigal son was at the worst part of his life, when he was sitting there by the hog trough and eating the slop of the pigs, wanting to, what did he say? My father's house. He had good memories of home and he had good memories of his father because his dad said, I'm going to do the best I can to be the person that I'm supposed to be. I guarantee you it was not perfect. But he intended to be a type of person that could, if necessary, Cause his child to rethink. Number three, he created an environment of forgiveness. While we're raising children, we need to make sure that they know that they can be forgiven. They need to know that they can come and sit at our feet and we can go, 
Yeah, that's pretty bad. But it's okay. You can get over it. This young man looked at his father from the place where he was, and he said, I'm going to go and tell my dad, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. He didn't think that he could be a son, maybe, but he thought he could be forgiven. And I think it's because his dad created that environment so that he, in fact, could do that. Look at verse 20. Wait for them. Wait for them. This dad did not jump on his camel and run to the far country to go grab his son and bring him home. I don't know if that was intentional, meaning, no, he's my son, he has to make his own decisions. I don't know. And I'm not necessarily saying that at any time there's unfaithfulness, we should just leave them alone and never contact them. I'm not saying that either. But I am saying this, we need to wait on them. I find it interesting that the phraseology used, and I like this term in Scripture, it says, when he came to himself. When he came to himself, he came home. That's the point. When parents intentionally create a, an environment of self worth of who that self is. When that person leaves that self to do something else, when they decide to come back to themselves, they just might come home. But you got to wait. You have to be patient. Let God do His thing. Let others do their thing. Let life happen. And pray, of course, that he will. Next, expect them to come home. What I'm saying now is a positive mental attitude. The Bible doesn't tell us how long the man was gone. We don't know. But it does say, implicitly, that every day the dad went down to a far part, maybe to a high plateau, to watch and see if his son was coming back. I imply that because the day that he came back, his father was standing there waiting on him. His father was looking. He didn't come to the door and knock on the door, and then dad goes, whoa, you're home. Apparently, he saw him afar way off, it says. We need to be people in the situation of these kinds of unfaithfulness that we are not only waiting, but we have an attitude that we expect they will come home. That's what I want. That's what we want. That's what we'll pray for. Notice again in the text, 
while doing that, keep your emotions in check, but intense. The text says, he had compassion. Now that word compassion is a word that says, I can identify. I can identify with you. And any one of us who has strayed at any time in our lives from that which is right, from that which we intended to do, can we not have compassion for those who do? They may stay longer away than we. They may do in human terms things worse than we did. But our commonality at understanding what it means to go away can keep us with good emotions and can keep those emotions intense. You don't want to be a person who develops anger in your heart. I, I know of families that it's going to be difficult, doubly difficult to fix the situation. It's tough, it's tough enough for a child to come back to a family that wants them back. But for a child to come back to a family that has developed harshness and anger, maybe even blaming, for instance, the church, because y'all didn't do your part to help my child. Maybe blaming the other spouse, if you'd done what I wanted, this child would have been okay. Blaming all these people who taught them in school or, or friends that they had. You blame and blame and blame. That doesn't create an attitude where it will be easy and your emotions get out of order. Verse 22. Be ready for them to come home when they do. Have you thought about what you're going to do? You think the dad thought about what he was going to do if his, dad, if his son came home? I don't think this was a knee-jerk reaction. I think he had a plan. And when the son finally came home, he put it into practice. Be ready. And when they come home, be ready to restore them to where they were. You know... This story is about full restoration. None of us would maybe think any worse of the father if he'd have said, you know what, son, you took all of the inheritance that you had, now you got to earn your way back. you got to work and pay it off. you got to, we probably would go, well, I think he probably deserves that. But the father welcomed him back and said, you're 100% here. No problem. Let's fix it. And finally, here's the toughest one. And I'm not even sure how to work it out in all cases. But this is what happened in the text. The end of the story has the father defending the son. 
it's easy to say, okay, if he's going to come back and be fully restored, then he needs to be defended. The, the older son was trying to say, oh, why, how come I don't get treated like this? And this son of yours, look what he did. It's interesting that we don't know what the younger son did in the far country. We know what the elder son said he did, which probably indicates what the elder son thought he would do if he went to the far country. We don't know what the young son did. And dad had to defend his son. He was lost. But now he's found. How does the church respond to someone lost and found? You ever had the experience of watching someone whose problems were pretty well known? And in front of the whole church, they walk the aisle. Is your first thought, well, I'm just going to watch him for a while. I'm just going to see if this is real. I want to make them prove themselves. Or are we willing to defend them by saying, hey, they've responded. They've repented. And, and I don't want to hear anything else. But let me surmise just a little more. I'm not saying that the father didn't know his son had messed up. But I am wondering if he defended his son while he was away. I'm not saying that he was trying to make excuses. Well, it's okay for him to be that way. I'm not saying that. But I wonder if he was defending his son, meaning this. I know he's wrong. I understand that. But he has a good heart. He's been taught well. And I want you to know that I want him back and you should want him back. And no matter how bad things have gotten, let's work together to make it happen. I think Dad the whole time had a defending of the reputation of his son. So when he came back, it made it easier for him to come back in. You can't guarantee something given to you to make them faithful, but you can guarantee what you give them. And don't focus on the far country while they're there. Focus on the home front. And hopefully, with God and other people helping, they'll come home. It's not an easy topic. Only those who live it really understand it. And we pray for them. We're concerned about them. And we want it to be right. And all we can do, the best we can do, is to pray that they will be right. So that's what we'll do. Maybe you need to come home. Our shepherds want you to. They'll listen and help you. We'll stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.